Hello, welcome to the Women in Leadership breakout session of the Encourage Gathering. My name is Connie Armerding, and I'm so glad that you logged on today to listen. And in addition to listening, I hope that you're ready to engage what it means for you to more fully step into place of leadership that God has ordained for your life. So obviously this workshop is not happening in the traditional way that we thought, and we have adjusted accordingly. And instead of sharing in this conversation face-to-face, um, it's being recorded, obviously. Um, but while you, whistle, while you listen, whether you're driving, whether you're at a messy kitchen table with your notepad open, or you're listening to this through your AirPods on an after, afternoon walk, um, I just want to say I'm really glad you're here, and I'm glad you're listening. I do also want to let you know that there is a PDF guide included that you can download that will highlight key ideas and passages and more detailed information um, I touch on as we go through that. Um, and there is also going to be some sections and some questions on there for you to engage, to do your personal work in this conversation, which is really important. So I want to invite you to do that, whether uh, you've downloaded it already or if you want to go back afterwards and um, download that and engage in some of the questions, because I believe that you're going to get the most out of what you um, personally invest in this conversation. For what it, specifically what it looks like to more fully step into the leadership roles that God has invited you to and that you can do so with confidence. So I want to take a brief moment to tell you a little bit about me. Um, I'm a wife to my husband, Taylor. We've been married for almost 17 years, and we have four children, seventh grade twin girls, a fifth grade son, and a second grade daughter. And I am a storyteller. So life makes more sense to me in the context of story, and stories speak powerfully to our hearts, our souls, and our minds. And I'm captivated by the story of God that's still unfolding on the earth, And I find so much joy in communicating how I see the fingerprints of God at work in our lives, in my life, in the lives of those around me. So I tell stories through writing and through speaking. I work as a curriculum writer for Frenzy, a K-8 social emotional learning curriculum, and I work as a content developer at Joy of It, and I lead a team of writers who are using the power of story to start really timely and important conversations within our community and the body of Christ. I preach and teach at my church as a member of the preaching team and lead workshops around the Portland metro area, uh, workshops and retreats. And I'm a few months away from completing my licensure as a pastor with the Foursquare denomination. Um, And I love learning, and that's been a big part of my personal leadership development. So right now, I'm in the middle of um, my grad school studies. I am midway through a graduate program at Wheaton College, um, receiving my Master's of Leadership in Evangelism. So I love to learn and to grow, and I'm passionate about this conversation about leadership. I think when we find ourselves constantly reading about, talking about, writing, and speaking about something, we should pay attention to it. And for me, that is this conversation about leadership, and specifically, women in leadership. And oftentimes, our places of insecurity and pain are where we find our greatest purpose. And although I've always led in some capacity in my life, I lacked a self-assurance and confidence until about four years ago. And that confidence um, came to step into this new level of leadership when I was willing to take a risk and I was willing to invest in what I valued. Now, previously, I just told you that I'm a storyteller. So to stay the course, I'm going to share a story with you today that illustrates the meaning and importance of knowing our value. And this is a story that I like to call Tale of Three Blunders. Yes, life lessons can be found in (laughs) household appliances. God speaks to us in a variety of ways. So a little over 17 years ago, when I got engaged to my husband, 
um, we started our six-month planning on-ramp of our wedding. And so we were excited to register for our wedding. So imagine that we're walking through um, Bed Bath & Beyond, because that's where almost 17 years ago, that's where we went to register for our wedding. We lived in Illinois at the time. And we were, uh, I was 23, he was 21, so we were very young, and we were very um, just green in a lot of areas of life. But as we made our way through the store, it wasn't long before we started fighting. And what we fighted about was what we were going to register for. Um, and we stood in front of the appliances, toasters, blenders, coffee makers, uh, in that aisle. Imagine it. I'm sure you've all been there maybe at some point. And I suggested that we register for something middle of the road. Good quality, but not too expensive. But Taylor, my soon-to-be husband, he didn't, he didn't really agree with me. <laughs> he proposed that we register for the base level models. Um, of kind of everything. And this was, and the conversation that followed that was that we were living on a small income ourselves. A lot of people invited to our wedding were our friends who were on a similar, similar shoestream budget. So why would we ask someone else to buy something for us that we couldn't afford for ourselves? So after his, his, um, proposing this idea to me, I was like, okay, that makes sense. So I conceded and I agreed to, um, registering for all the base level appliances in shades of white. But probably not surprisingly, those appliances didn't last very long before they needed replacements. And particularly, the one that gave us the most problems was the blender. And um, a year after we got married, we moved from Illinois to California. And um, let's just say the, the blender always smelled like rubber after we used it. And so that accidentally got left off our packing list. So in this next season of our married life, we actually lived closer to my parents. So we were the recipients of gently used hand-me-downs. And one of those gently used hand-me-downs was this really fancy, shiny, beautiful stainless steel blender with multiple attachments. I think it had a whisk. I think it had a food processor. It had all these amazing uh, attachments. But despite its capabilities, we only used it as a blender, mostly because I didn't know how to use the other things. And then it, even that, the, the blender eventually broke. So it sat in the cupboard for a long time, and I didn't exactly know what was wrong with it, so I didn't quite know how to fix it. But I had, it was so fancy and so beautiful and multifaceted, I just couldn't bring myself to th throw it away because I knew, I knew it was expensive. So what I did is I just stuck it in um, a cabinet in my kitchen and honestly, I just kind of forgot about it. Um, I forgot about it until I did a big purge and we went through the kitchen and I threw, I finally just came to terms that this is broken, I don't know how to use it, so we're gonna throw it away but it had occupied a specific cabinet in the kitchen. And we got on fine without a blender um, for most of most of the time. It wasn't our on a daily routine, something that we use, until this one day in the middle of summer where I wanted a milkshake so badly. And at the time, we lived in Central California, and summer lasts there for about six months. So it was not uncommon to have 100-plus degree days for six, six months at a time. So imagine we're right in the middle of that, and I was craving a milkshake on a summer evening. So I phoned my good friends who lived up the street and I asked if I could borrow their blender. They were quick to share, they came over, they actually shared in the milkshakes with us and then they went home. And that night, we cleaned up the kitchen, cleaned up the blender, um, and because I didn't want a, a cluttered countertop, I put it into a cupboard, the same cupboard that the other blender had lived in for a long time. And I wish I could say that I returned my blender the next day to my friends, but I forgot about it, life went on, um, and they didn't come to request it back right away. Um, so out of sight, out of mind. So fast forward to the close of summer and we're back in sketchy routines and I want to get the house all ready. So I'm doing like another big purge. Like I want to organize. 
So I'm going through the kitchen. I'm, I'm, I'm sorting through things, deciding what I need and what I don't, filling up the garage sale bin. And I come to this cabinet that housed, in my mind, the old broken blender. So as I saw a blender in there, it, in full confidence, I took out that blender and I threw it in the garage sale bin or the donation bin. Um, and it wasn't until a few Saturdays later when our friends came over, um, we were making breakfast, flipping can pancakes and said, Hey, we're going to make some smoothies. Can we get our blender back? And then it all came into focus. I went back to the cabinet to open it to give them the blender. And then I realized, Oh my gosh, I threw it away. I threw the perfectly good blender in the trash. So I stupidly explained what happened. <laughs> um, and they were gracious and I quickly bought them a replacement. It's a standing joke now that you can't leave me alone with the blender because who knows what I might do. But I've been thinking about I, that. That story has come back to me often. Um, that I threw away something that had a lot of value just because I thought it was broken. And I wonder if you can relate. I wonder if you can relate to that. So as God often does to me, He speaks to me through simple and mundane moments that have um, that speak of a a spiritual truth that ne needs to pierce my heart. And that's what happened here. So we're going to talk about each of those blenders briefly. So the first blender, blender number one, my decision to concede with the bottom of the line blender for our wedding regist registration was driven by believing I didn't deserve something of higher value. I internalized that I didn't really deserve something expensive and that asking for that was off-putting. I was simply too worried to ask for what I wanted because of what other people might think. Even though God is a giver and I know that and he gives graciously to me and abundantly to me over and over, I found myself continually downgrading what I really desired because guess what? I was thinking about what other people are thinking about. Maybe that's true for you. Whether that situation involved the need for healing, monetary provision, or something miraculous, too often I settled for base level model requests. It lacks faith. It's rooted in fear of man, and it makes light of the gospel, the great lengths to which God went to redeem mankind to himself. This is what God spoke to me about blender number two. When I was provided with a new upgraded blender from my parents, I didn't take the time to maximize its value or even learn how to fully use it. It wasn't something that I chose or that I paid for. <clears throat> and it was used and therefore not as good in my own mind. So when it broke down, I was content to let it just stay that way. And as I reflected on the situation, again, the Holy Spirit began showing me that I have responded in a similar fashion to what I believe to be a spiritual hand-me-down from God. I felt a fresh, fresh conviction about how I've done this with myself. There are parts of my personality that, frankly, I've not understood, and I've not known how to use them, and I've questioned why God made me the way he did. And in confusion, I had concluded that some areas of my life were simply broken parts, parts that didn't seem too terribly necessary and really weren't worth attempting to fix. But the truth is, there's some really unique and resourceful attributes about how I am hardwired by my creator that I have yet to explore. God has given each of us a set of gifts and abilities that require some discovery and most likely some redemption. Blunder number three. When our friends lent us their blunder, I should have just returned it the next day. But because I had stored our blunders in the same spot for so many years, I just put it in the same spot without even thinking. And habits aren't always good. <laughs> and when I threw it out, it revealed my train of thought of lack about lack and brokenness. And I felt the Holy Spirit asking me how I miss God's provision because I relate to it as charity. The generosity from our friends was received in the moment, but eventually a more dominant narrative took over. 
that we had a broken blender that we can't fix and just needs to be thrown out. I've often seen God show up. He responds, he delivers, and he answers prayer. And yet, before long, I start playing old tapes about the lack in my life. I've taken his gifts and the testimony of his faithfulness and casually disposed of it because I'm stuck in the past and have not let God's word establish my value. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. God has created us on purpose for his purpose. He's continually providing ways for us to walk in the fullness for which we were made. So today, God, we come before you asking that you're, through your kindness to us, that you would uncover the places that need to be surrendered again so that we can be fully alive, believing that you're a good father who redeems what is broken and is faithful to provide for his children. So I want to ask you, as you hear that story, um, to get in touch with me, what's coming up for you? Where have you questioned your value and your purpose? Are you living into an untrue narrative about your life? Because we invest in what we value. And God says that we have value as his children, as his daughters. God has created us with value and purpose. When we disregard our value, focusing on what's broken, we live into that mindset. And sometimes, even after restoration has come, we can go back to an old way of thinking. We were made to co-create with God, to lead, to innovate, to dream, to rule, to subdue the world around us so that we can bring glory to his name. The world around us sends lots of messages. We're not enough or we're too much. It can be paralyzing. And today we're going to be reminded of God's intent and unique plan for women as image bearers of God. We will look to the Bible as well as to history to see brilliant women who've been used by God to do amazing things. Sometimes we can get stuck in this conversation about leadership because it seems egotistical or self-promoting. But hear me say this. This is not about us. Our flesh can get in the way, and we do always need to keep our egos in check. But surprisingly, those things have a way of working themselves out. When we make it our job to police others, to judge and to monitor uh, the lives of those around us, it steals our joy and theirs, and it doesn't produce good fruit. So what if we were focused on our own race, our own invitation to co-create with God in the unique way he made us? What if we celebrated the success of others? At the root of not being able to celebrate others is this fear that we aren't important and we're not valued. Other people can't fix that problem for us. We must go back to the source that tells us our value and our worth. So you signed on today. You clicked on this session and I'm, I'm guessing you, you have a true desire to more fully value your God-given place, influence, and leadership in your life. And I'm so glad that you're here. Some questions that I think are important for you to ask yourself. And again, I want to refer to that PDF that hopefully you've downloaded. Take some time to, to ask yourself these questions and really find the answer. Why did you come to this workshop today? What are you hoping? What, what stirred you to move towards this conversation? And secondly, where in your life are you asking that question, do I belong? We define a leader as someone who has a following. So it may be one person, two, 25, 30, or 5,000. And I'm not just talking about followers behind a screen. Life on life, people that you actually speak to and connect with, people that are looking at your life and following you because you're going somewhere they want to go. And regardless of the, the, the size of our leadership, 
it's important to take that responsibility seriously and to steward it well. As I mentioned before, I'm captivated by story and I've been captivated by the story of God. And as I live out my own story that God has authored for me, I can see how my story is connected to the bigger story. And I'm made in his image, to, to God's image, to reflect his goodness and glory to the world. John 1, 26 through 28, I'm going to summarize it here. It says, we're re- created in the image of God. We're to display his character and creativity to the world in partnership alongside men, side by side, shoulder to shoulder. God is constantly pulling his daughters into a role of service and leadership they never fully imagined. He's always surprising us. And God's invitations arrive in a variety of ways. These moments for you maybe happen during personal times of prayer or scripture reading, or maybe they happen through a friend or colleague that needed your help um, when they faced a challenge and you stepped in and it was like you were the person for the job. You had the gifts, the skills, the vision to complete it. And this person sees this gift in you and is affirming it and, and is championing your life, the gift of what you bring. And maybe sometimes these moments are confirmed when our hearts are breaking over something that's not right in the world. That's happening right now for me, and I'm, I'm imagining it's happening for a lot of you. We're in a global pandemic, and we also are seeing the systemic racism that has been built into our country that is still wreaking havoc, and um, it's evil, and it's wrong, and we're seeing it. And, and we're also in this time where we're isolated, and we have more time maybe than ever before. So as these things are rising to the surface, what are you going to do with it? As something breaks your heart because it breaks the heart of God, what can you do to lead in your sphere of influence? Whether it's with your immediate family, your children, your neighbors, I don't know. But we all have a role to play. We all have a voice to use to speak up. We're invited into the process of leading in some unexpected ways. And I think right now, in this time of history, maybe it's an unexpected way. But I believe that there's an invitation for each of us. So how are you going to respond in these moments? Some of you might be really bold in your yes, accepting your assignment to lead with boldness. Some of you might respond differently. Maybe you're bewildered or you're scared. Thoughts are clinging around in your head, clinging around your head, saying, God, you want me to do what? Are you sure? There's so many more people qualified than me. But this inner dialogue, those ringing questions and insecurities may continue all the way until the moment that you're supposed to act. The moment when you put your foot out and you walk down that path even if it seems daunting or impossible. But you're here and you're listening today. So I'm going to assume that you have accepted God's invitation to serve and to lead. And you want to develop and grow in new ways. And maybe listening today is the first step. I'm so glad. And I want to affirm and encourage all of you that are beginning down this new path. As time passes and you walk in obedience, these roles will begin to feel normal and maybe even obvious. What was once scary will become fun. If it's what you're made for, you're going to enjoy it. (laughs) You can even hear your thought patterns change. And now maybe they sound a little bit more like this. Well, of course I would do that. It makes sense. It's how I was made. It's what I was made for. Our confidence, yours and mine, grows until the next invitation comes that stretches how we see ourselves. And then we see that pattern of self-doubt and questioning easily play on repeat. So whether you're on the first round of the leadership spiral or two or three rings deep, you made a decision to show up and listen. And there's a question that you're asking, and I firmly believe that you will leave with the most benefit from this session if you first get in touch with where you're asking this question in your own life. And again, these are listed in the PDF. 
What sphere of leadership are you called to? It's important to name it. It will give you direction. Secondly, what are the insecurities that are paralyzing you from moving forward? Again, if we name them, we can work to grow and not let them be um, things that keep us bound. And lastly, what lies are you listening to that need to be exposed? When we bring the lie into the light, we get to replace it with the truth. It's important that you do that work. I encourage you to do that work. For me, the lie that I identified and listened to for years was a lie that I was too much in some spheres and not enough in others. I spent years of my life trying to change my shape. I needed either to be bigger than I was or I needed to diminish parts of myself. And I've learned that the greatest gift that I can offer to the world is to actually occupy the space I take up. I'm here. I'm not invisible. The space set out for my life, the space set out for yours, the boundaries, the opportunities, the invitations, they're only able to be filled by me and yours are only able to be filled by you. No one can do that for us. No one else can take my place. No one can take yours. Is a role I feel replaceable? Yes, I can do a job and then someone can do the job after me and maybe even better. But does it mean that I'm replaceable? No, definitely not. Are you replaceable? No, there is a unique gift that you bring to the world. There is something specific that you bring to your spheres of influence that you alone possess, even if and when your role changes. The gift you bring is unique to you and cannot be taken from you. But you can do one thing. You can lay it down and abdicate it, and you can become paralyzed and immobile. That's, that's up to you. That's a choice. You can do that. I hope you don't. And oftentimes we get in this comparative mindset. Even if someone close to you is, has a unique and similar set of gifts, you're different, and you each represent a piece of God's heart and creativity to the world around you. Don't believe that lie. The spots in the kingdom of God are not limited. You are a soul and a spirit that has a body and you occupy the space that you do. And it's good and it's a gift to the world. So I want to ask, are you going to authoritatively step into the space that is uniquely designed for you? From where I'm standing in my perspective, it does seem harder for women to accept God's invitation to serve and to lead. There's, uh, from our family and societal expectations, often they create an additional gender challenge that we have to navigate. And for many of us, accepting and living out God's invitation is a bit more complex. But does that let us off the hook? Absolutely not. We have to keep moving forward. And there's grace for us to do so when we're in line with what God is inviting us into. So what types of invitations does God extend to women in his mission to expand the kingdom on the earth? So it's good news. There's so many amazing women who've gone before us. So today we're going to take a look at some of them. We're going to journey for a moment to acknowledge some of these amazing women leaders. Their stories are unique, but they do all have a common thread. They were called by God to step into a unique place of leadership, and they said yes to the invitation. But it wasn't without cost, risk, cost, risk, or fear. Many times it put the men in a place of great danger. Often these women are not talked about, they're not elevated or celebrated, but today they will be. We're going to hear their names and their legacies because, as we do, I'm convinced that we'll be inspired, convicted, and called to boldly say yes to the places that God is asking us to use our leadership, our gifts of influence for his kingdom purposes and advancement. A bit earlier I read out of Ephesians 2 verse 10, one of my favorite verses. I want to revisit that, but I'm going to add verse 7 before it. And starting in verse 7, this is what it says. 
so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things he planned for us long ago. I love this. So this is what we're going to do. We're looking back at the women in the Bible, and the women in the Bible, and women in history. And these women are the examples he's talking about, the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness. And in the same way, when we say yes and are united with Christ and surrender our lives and release our gifts to him, it's going to be amazing to see what he will do with them. So we get to leave a legacy for the generations to come. Okay, so we're going to hop in just a glimpse overview, women of the Old Testament. Again, these are in the PDF if you want to dig deeper. And whether your knowledge of the Bible is a little bit or uh, a lot or none at all, it's okay because these are historical women, historical characters, and you can find out more about them. So I hope that they draw your interest and that you begin to learn more. So there's a woman in the Old Testament named Deborah, and we can find her in the book of Judges in chapters 4 and chapter 5. And she was a wife, and she was a prophetess. She was an agitator. I love that word, which means she produces change. She was a ruler. She was a warrior. She was a poetess, and she was a maternal figure. She ruled under the palm tree. In Judges uh, 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 5, it talks about the palm tree. The palm tree under which Deborah ruled and possibly lived was a landmark, as palms were rare in Palestine. So in honor of her works, it has become known as the Palm of Deborah. She was a bold leader. Deborah stands out as among the wisest of all the Old Testament women. And you have to understand the Bible was written in a time where women didn't have um, the same privileges as men. It was a patriarchal society. Even other works of writings around that same time in history never mention women's names. The Bible was unique and radical in that way. And even as I've come to the Bible and said, oh man, there's not as many women, I've wrestled with that, but it's important to look at the original context. It was radical in the time that it was written that women were released and championed by God to step into their God-given purpose. Next woman in the Old Testament, Huldah. We can find her in 2 Kings 22 and in 2 Chronicles 34. She is referred to as the woman who unveiled the future of a nation. Wow. She was a prophetess in the reign of King Josiah. She could be found sitting in the central part of the city, ready to receive and counsel any who wished to inquire of Jehovah, God of the Israelites. Ranking with Deborah and Hannah among the rare old, the rare women of the Old Testament, Huldah's standing and reputation are attested to in that she was consulted rather than Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. When, when the lost book of the law was found and that her word was accepted by all as a, a divinely revealed one. God opened up a space, she stepped into it, and he worked mightily through her life. The book of Ruth, which is one of two books in the Bible that are, are named after women. Um, the other is Esther. And Ruth, she, this is a book in the Bible where there's not a lot of miraculous works that happen, but we see that God's has said love, his, his sacrificial love works through his people and it changes their hearts and it changes the story, um, which we, we see that the gene- genealogy of Jesus includes Ruth. So this is who Ruth was. She was barren. She was a widow. She was a refugee. She was poor. She traveled with her mother-in-law to a new land. She converted to follow Yahweh on the road from Moab to Bethlehem. She's a new convert. And on this road, she finds her voice. 
She's bold and she's brave and she fought hard to provide for Naomi, whom she had sworn her life and allegiance. She asked for what she needs, but she also asked for what she wants. She proposed to Boaz and he is drawn to her for her, her strength. She defies all the odds and helps restore the Elimelech, Elimelech family line. She's strong, bold, and courageous leader and faces obstacles head on because she's fighting for what she believes in and is fighting to keep her word. She is given a place of favor and honor and is lifted in Matthew and the genealogy of Jesus. I'm so glad that Ruth took her space, took her, her spot, and didn't let someone else, or not, well, that she didn't abdicate it, actually, that she took her spot and that she found her voice and she walked in obedience and it made a, a huge difference, not only for her life and those around her, but for many, many years and generations to come. Okay, now we're going to move over to the New Testament and look at a few women there. Um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, we find her in the passage of Luke chapter 1, um, for, starting verse 26. And Mary is visited by an angel, and it's a, a risky ministry invitation, right? She's, she's, she's visited by the angel, and she's asked if she would be the mother, the savior of the world. And her saying yes. There are so many implications. She's risking shame, harsh judgment, personal scandal. If this isn't God, she has just blown up her life. And scholars believe that Mary is to be around the age of 14. So even those who are young, when we encounter God and we respond with a yes in our heart, he makes a way for us. And we're in line with our purpose and his plan for us, our story, and then remembering it's connected to a much bigger story and will affect generations to come. I love her response in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. We find out that she says, May your word be fulfilled. She says yes to this invitation. Another woman in the New Testament that uh, is, is spoken of a lot throughout the Gospels, actually all of them, she's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is Mary Magdalene. And she's a woman who had seven devils. She is tormented by evil spirits, and she's, um, she's in bondage. But she meets Jesus, he calls her by name, and she is delivered. And in that moment, she becomes a disciple. She's freed from bondage, from the satanic bondage, and she's greatly, she greatly aids Jesus in anything he needs because she loves him. She has been saved. She follows him, and she's along with him as a disciple as he's preaching and teaching this message. And Mary is also referred, referred to as the apostle of the apostles. She's the first person who encounters the risen Christ, and she declares who he is. She is the first preacher. And it comes from a place of not wanting status or power. It comes from an overflow abundance of the love she has for her Savior. There's a woman named Lydia in the New Testament, and she is really gifted in business. She's referred to as the woman who is diligent in business, and we find her in Acts 16 and also in Philippians 1. She opens a significant door for the advancement of the gospel into a new region of the world. A whole new region of the world. She bankrolled much of the New Testament church and used her influence and business acumen for good. Maybe you are a business mind. Maybe you are gifted and knowing how to make wealth or, or produce wealth and to build teams. You're gifted in leadership in that way. We see Lydia as an example of what good that can do to use that power and that privilege for good and to be faithful with the gifts God entrusts to you. Entrusts to you. It's all part of his mission. And then we see Phoebe. Phoebe, um, she is she's an apprentice of Paul. Uh, she's respected uh, by Paul, and he sees leadership on her life. 
So much so that he, the scholars believe that she was the courier of the Book of Romans. So basically, she went and she read it, which means she's the authoritative voice speaking this the scriptures to these people. So they would ask her questions, and with confidence, she could answer them because she had studied and she knew. And this was who God had appointed in this moment to to walk alongside Paul and to be a mouthpiece of His truth. Scripture records Paul's glowing endorsement of her character and partnership for the gospel. That can also be found in Romans 16. And then Lois and Eunice, um, these are Timothy's mother and grandmother. Child-rearing and domesticity creates an environment to raise up and nurture leaders of the next generation. If you are in a space where you are at home and that is, that is the place God clearly has ordained for you, it is significant. Do not diminish that. It matters. We can't run other people's stories, and we need to, to embody our own. And can off, as can often be in our cultural, our current culture, age is is not a disqualifier. At, in this day and age, if you're too young or too old, you kind of fall to the wayside. God, God is saying no. <laughs> These roles are significant. He, Paul also praises the sincere faith of Timothy's mother, Lois, and his grandmother, Eunice, and acknowledges how important their influence has been in shaping Timothy for his current leadership role. That story about them can be found in 2 Timothy 1.5. And these are just, there's so many more in the Bible. I just wanted to give a brief overview of the, the vast variety of ways that God uses women. And now we're going to briefly look at women in history. And again, these are all in the PDF, and so you can dig in. I hope that you do to find out more about these women, be inspired by their lives. Susanna Wesley, um, she was born in 1669 and lived until 1742. And she's the mother of two of the greatest missionaries in church history. John Wesley and Charles Wesley. She was faithful to steward her place, her sphere of influence, and it was significant. Catherine Booth, um, she lived from 1829 to 1890, and she's an amazing, fiery preacher. I love Catherine Booth. And along with her husband, William, they founded the Salvation Army, which is alive and thriving today. They started a work that has continued on because they were obedient to the call of God. Harriet Beecher Snow, Stowe, I'm sorry, um, she lived from 1811 to 1896. She's the author of Uncle Tom's Cabin, and she influenced millions to join the fight and end slavery for the United States. That book is still being read today. So maybe you're a writer. Maybe there's a, you're an artist. There's some way that God is asking you to communicate your gift that's going to go beyond you and affect so many others, maybe even for generations to come. Are you asking him how you can partner with what he's inviting you into and how you can uniquely lead? Harriet Tubman. Um, she lived from 1822 to 1913, an African-American woman who fearlessly helped to lead the Underground Railroad and after escaping slavery, put her life at risk many times so that others might have freedom. She embodies this servant leadership, this understanding of sacrificial love, that it wasn't about her own comf comfort or safety, but it was about something so much more than her. That is a gospel on display. Fanny Crosby, she lived from 1820 to 1915. And we can marvel at how God used women in, with significant disabilities. In her case, it was blindness. Yet she penned lyrics and hymns that convey some of the deepest theological truths. Her songs are still used frequently in worship services across the globe. There's nothing you can say to God that's like, oh, I can't. I'm not able. With him, all things are possible. So if he's asking you to do something, have faith that he will fill the gap, that he will equip you. Amy Carmichael, she lived from 1867 to 1951. She's a young girl from, she was a young girl from Ireland who sought to rescue at-risk children. She remained in India for 50 years, refusing, to provide, per, refusing the privilege of returning to her homeland. 
Her writings continued to fuel a passion for mission and future generations. Again, she wasn't concerned about her own comfort or safety. She was called to a, a mission and a vision that she could see, and she was committed in her life to see it lived out, and we're so thankful that she did. Um, we're continuing to learn from her writings and how she lived her life. Sojourner Truth from 1797 to 1883. She was an African-American abolitionist and a women's rights activist. She escaped from slavery with her daughter to freedom in 1826 and then fought in court to get her son back. And that happened in 1828 and she won. She became the first black woman to win a case like that in court. She gave herself the name Sojourner Truth in 1843 as she became convinced that God had called her to leave the city and go into the countryside testifying the hope that was in her she fought for justice she fought for what was right and she declared the goodness of God so much that she was like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my name because I'm going to testify I'm going to preach the good news of the gospel testifying of the hope of Jesus that was in her Corrie ten Boom um, 1892 to 1983 she was a Dutch watchmaker who with her family helped many Jews during the Holocaust again she she put herself in a place where she could uh, be unsafe or even die but she did it for the sake of others because that is what it means to embody the gospel to live our lives sacrificially unto other people that's what it means to lead it's not about our own platforms or status it's about what we bring to the world to bring glory and um, honor to the name of Jesus Fannie Lou Hamer. Uh, she lived from 1917 to 1977. She was an African-American voting and women's rights activist, a community organizer, and a leader in the civil rights movement. She was a co-founder of the National Women's Political Caucus, an organization created to recruit, train, and support women of all races who wish to seek election to government office. She was known for her use of spiritual hymns and quotes, and she helped many African-Americans become registered voters. Again, she said, everything I have, I want to give away. What I've learned, I want to pass on to other women who feel called to the government offices. Maybe you feel called to government offices. Even in this moment in our nation, we're seeing the need for just and righteous lawmakers. If that's you, step into the place God is ordaining and calling you today. Mother Teresa, she lived from 1910 to 1997. An Albanian woman who founded and led missionaries of charity and ministered to the least of these, initially in India and then in many other nations. And we know the name Mother Teresa because of the work that she did, the kindness that she had, and the way that she embodied the love of God um, just went beyond her. She was not seeking any sort of status or any leadership position, but it was given to her because she was obedient and God elevated her because she walked in faithfulness to the call on her life. So now after hearing that list, are you ready to place yourself on the lineup of leaders? I hope you are. I hope you're ready for the journey. I, I trust that you're inspired. Um, and as we follow God, that we would remain curious and open to how he might be calling us in the days ahead. May we too be found faithful, wholly fulfilling whatever unique call he might have for us. The world might see and come to know the kind and utterly spectacular God we serve. So one last bit as we wrap up today, there's some practical brass tacks ways we can get started in this. I know we've been talking big picture, but let's bring it back practically. Sometimes what we need to do is just start. We just need to begin. We need to move forward in faith into the ways we sense God is asking us to partner with him. Don't get stuck in worrying about what others are thinking. There is a trap. That is a trap leading to paralysis. Women should not judge one another, but so often that is the case. And there's not one right or best way. There are many seasons to our life, and God asks us to do all kinds of different things in different seasons. And our story is different than those of uh, walk alongside us. 
We need to extend grace and love as they follow God in their unique call. We need to give each other grace for the changes, for these changes and not be threatened when others make different choices than we do. So we're going to look at six ways to begin putting feet to the yes in our heart. Feet of faith as we move forward in action to embody the leadership that God is, is inviting us into. Again, these are in the PDF to reference as well. Number one is identify the imposter. You are not the imposter of your own life. You have all the authority to live out the life and call God has given to you. But hear this, there is an enemy who exists that is after your soul and your destiny. We, we talk, we've, we've probably, you've probably heard this phrase, imposter syndrome, also called um, imposter phenomenon. And this is the definition of that. It's a psychological pattern in which one doubts one's accomplishment and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. And as women, I think we can, we can relate to that. But this is the thing. The true imposter is the father of lies, as we see in John 8, 44. He's always hated the truth, and there's no truth in him. And when he lies, it's consistent with his character because he is called the father of lies. The father of lies is the imposter in your life. Be able to identify where he's lying to you. In John 10, 10, we, we are reminded that although the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, God's purpose for us is to give us a rich and satisfying life, one of abundance. So know the imposter who's trying to lie to you and disqualify you. He knows what you're capable of, and it's a huge threat to him. What has God called you to do in partnership with him? Where is God inviting you into leadership? He will equip those that he calls. Remember the women in scripture and history we just read about. Won't he do it? Number two, the author gave you authority. God has called you by name and created you for a purpose. You are an image bearer of the most high God, as we see in Genesis 1.28. Many of you in this room are waiting for permission before you move and do something. But please don't wait to take action on what you were created to do until there's a platform waiting for you. You're just going to keep waiting. Or if not, you're going to step in that place and you won't be ready. If that is the case, you may shrivel under the spotlight. The things that you're called to and are passionate about are the things that you do anyway, because you can't not do them. So pay attention to those things and those places and start doing the work in the anonymous place. This is where greatness is developed in hiddenness. This is where integrity and character take root. It is possible that your gift can take you farther than your character can hold. Yikes, that's dangerous territory and it will destroy you. Trust the timing of God and partner with him to fulfill your end of the bargain. Let him open the doors and make the way. I promise it, he'll do it. Number three, your strength does not create weakness. So please don't hold back your gifts. When you are so focused on what other people think of us, when we're so focused on what other people think of us, we can become paralyzed. It's called analysis by paralysis by analysis. Your story and unique gifts are only able to be filled by you. One lie that I've heard throughout my life is that strong women make weak men. <laughs> I strongly disagree. We need each other each person uh, fulfilling their God-given place so that there's strength all around, everywhere. Every part is strong. Think back to the story of Ruth. Her strength actually caused Boaz to reconsider his choice of how he was going to use his power and privilege for good. She inspired him by her strength. When we're strong for the sake of others, not for our own agendas, that is the power of sacrificial love on display. Your vision for leadership is about those that you're leading, equipping, and training. So please, stay connected to this question. 
get ask this of yourself often. Who is it that you're fighting for? Where are you leading those that are following you? Revisit those questions often, and it will help get you back on course. Number four, only you can take your place. Don't miss your life because you're obsessed with someone else. This is another area where the father of lies can wreak havoc. No one can take your place. That also means that you alone are the only one who can abdicate it. Why would you give away the inheritance that was meant for you because you feel bad for someone else? That's false humility, and that bears no fruit. Take what is being offered to you, and with that resource, make a way for someone else, the one that your heart is burdened for, the one that God is asking you to share your power, your platform, and your privilege with. We are called to share that, but if he's entrusting it to you, it's because he wants you to do something with it. I'm reminded of the uh, parable of the talents. might be a good thing to visit. Don't bury it in the ground. Multiply it. There is an important order here. We must step into that which we were created for, and from that place, use our influence and power for the good of other people. This is servant leadership. Number five, seek out mentors who can help develop your leadership potential. Learn from and honor, though, honor those that made a way for you. And now go and make a way for others. This isn't about you. You are part of a bigger story. Some of, some of you need to hear these words to step into the next place God's inviting you to partner with him in servant leadership. Take note of the leaders that are doing it well. Study what they do, ask what they're reading, invite them to coffee, and if it's appropriate and the relationship is established enough, be bold in asking for mentorship. And if they can't do it, ask them for recommendations. Find other women leaders or men leaders you respect and learn from their successes and failures. Let your life be a bridge. Seek out those who can mentor you and then mentor those who you see have potential and support and that God is highlighting to you as people that you're supposed to walk with on this journey. Number six, and the last one, and this is, I'm like, I get fired up about this. I care about it so much. Advance the kingdom through celebration and collaboration. Quit comparing. I'm going to say that one more time. Quit comparing. And instead, celebrate and collaborate. Look around you and think of all the amazing women you know, or the amazing women you want to know. In the local area of Portland, there is an abundance of strong, integrous women leaders. Many of them are speaking here at this conference. And if you're listening and you're local, find out a way to get connected with those women and the work they're doing. And if you're not local, find out those women in your area. There are so many amazing women all over the nation, all over the world, that are being obedient to God's call in their life, and there is much fruit because of it. We're better together, and community is available. But this is the thing. It'll take courage. You might have to put yourself out there. But I'm going to say, I'm going to put money in the bank and say that the benefits will far outweigh the risk. Just imagine what could be birthed through collaboration with the women in your neighborhood, your city, your church, this region, this nation. Because very rarely is one leader gifted enough to propel things forward on their own. They need a team of innovators and implementers, of strategists, of uh, people who think differently than they do. Collaboration and shared power has affected how I view my, my life and leadership. It's changed me, and I don't ever want to do it differently. I love working with a team because I can bring with full confidence what I have, and I only have a part of the puzzle. I need others to step in so that we can see what God wants to create through our lives. Because there is more than more than enough. We have to ditch the lie of lack. 
The table can keep growing. It should keep growing. We're part of building it so that it can keep growing. So let's stick it to the devil, the father of lies, and work together for the good of humanity and not fall for his divisive schemes. I never opt to do things on my own. I want others with me. They help me be better and they make me stronger. We're meant to live in interdependent community, not individual silos or huts working so hard to protect what we have. Multiplication comes when we share and it's more flavorful and it's more fun. But I do want to mention alignment is important. We can't just partner with anyone. We have to listen to God. We have to walk in what he's saying to us and know that the people who are extending the invitation to us are the right people. So be prayerful. Watch their life. Hear what others are saying about them. See that the passion uh, is real and true in their lives. The thing that they, they love, have they been doing it for a long time? Have they been doing it when no one's watching and there isn't a platform? Those are things to take notice of. This is a sign of an integrous leader, someone doing what they were made to do, whether in front of one or in front of, in front of thousands, because they will do it regardless of their audience. So as we wrap up today, I want to leave you with a couple questions. Number one, what new or renewed area of leadership are you stepping into? How will you partner with God in this process? And secondly, what is your action step or steps to further invest in your leadership development? How will you intentionally invest in what you value? Will you seek out a mentor? Will you go back to school? Will you have that hard conversation? Um, will you, you pull out that old journal where it has the dreams of the things you wanted to do as you were a kid? What are the action steps that you're going to take? At the bottom of the PDF, I will have a list of recommended books that have been helpful for me. I hope they're helpful for you. And I've loved having this opportunity to share with you today. I hope that you are inspired and encouraged to say yes to what God's asking of you. And if you're interested in staying connected to the work God has called me to, you can visit me at my website, ConnieArmiting.com, where you can read my latest writing and get connected to areas where I'm speaking. You can also follow me on social media, Instagram at CArmiting, um, and on Facebook, uh, Connie Armiting. Connie Hammond Armiting. So I'm, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share what is on my heart, what I feel like is part of what God has asked me to do, is to speak life and truth and champion the work of God in, uh, in his daughters. So I'm going to close with a prayer of blessing. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your pursuit of our hearts, your relentless pursuit of our hearts. I pray that each woman, as they listen to this, wherever they are, God, wherever they are in this journey with you, that they would feel your spirit, that you would be burning inside of them, reminding them of what they were made for. I pray for the courage that they would say yes, that they would lean in, that they would link arms with those around them uh, who can champion the call of God in their lives that you would move powerfully so that your name would be made great, that we can partner and co-create with you in furthering the kingdom of God. Thank you for our individual stories, God, and thank you for how our stories connect with one another and how they connect us to your story, the story of God that is being written on the earth. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and for your love. Bless each one of those who are listening as they go about their day. May they encounter your spirit in a powerful and profound way and partner with the work that you're already doing. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.